Hello and welcome to this event on It's Time, Women in Private Equity. My name is Jordan Selleck. I am the CEO and co-founder of 51 Labs. And I'd like to kick off today by giving a quick overview of our firm. So digital marketing for the M&A and VC communities, that is what 51 Labs specializes in. Uh, we have a four-person full-time team, uh, a network of freelancers to do video, for example, depending on where our projects are. Um, I would like to introduce my wife and co-founder and now full-time colleague, uh, Jing Lee Selleck. If we can go to the next slide to give a, uh, a snapshot on her. Hi, everybody. My name is Jing Lee Selleck. Um, I am now the uh, full-time uh, CFO, COO, and head of creative of 51 Labs. We co-founded the firm um, around two years ago. Uh, super excited to be on board and take care of our third child. This the firm. business. <laughs> I have to say third child. And, <laughs> and um, my responsibility here is basically uh, mostly operative and uh, uh, video production. Um, and you did law for a little bit over six years. Yes, and before this. You got all the downside of entrepreneurship living through me, but not the upside. So now you get to join in I the call fun. myself a forcepreneur. <laughs> so actually she has a necklace that says 450, which stands for 450 square feet that we lived in with our uh, young toddler and our uh, my Chinese in-laws for 18 months. Um, but I bring that up just because, and I want to highlight her because of how much goes into sacrificing to start a business as a family. And that really is one of the reasons why so much of our content over the past two years has focused on women and finance, because frankly, I wanted to get the stories out there so that she could see that hopefully there is light at the end of the tunnel. Um, and so now what I would like to do is kind of turn it over to the next slide here, give a snapshot of our client base. Uh, so we're primarily within private equity equity, uh, private credit, uh, M&A advisors, you know, most of our work is within the M&A ecosystem. We have done a little bit in the venture community, um, but primarily in the deal community. Uh, so now let me give a quick overview of our services. Uh, we do LinkedIn content. We are the number one creator on LinkedIn in the M&A community. Uh, our, uh, our firm has had over a million views alone on LinkedIn. We do the strategy, the scheduling, the drafting, execution, and analytics, as well as all the ninja tactics uh, for BD. So you're reaching out to CEOs and sellers. So for example, uh, with HKW, which is one of our clients, uh, kind of general scope of that project is we're doing you know, 50 posts, uh, 15 videos, including portfolio and firmware review. But these two posts got 100,000 views between two posts. Uh, 15 deal amounts came alone just from Ryan's post, of which five were actionable. Um, next slide, kind of want to highlight uh, some of the work that we do with firm overview videos. So, you know, the two-minute snapshot on who is your firm, and we come in there for a day or two to shoot the uh, content with your office. We can also do this uh, uh, virtually. Uh, next, we'll kind of go into a uh, the next type of video, which is what we call a quick creative. This can either be in person or over Zoom. Um, this is more for social media, but can also go on your website. Uh, next, we'll go into the uh, portfolio company videos. So Middle Ground hired us to do six videos uh, in six different states in 30 days <clears throat> for their annual meeting. Um, we shot all of this virtually. Uh, we, we had local videographers that we directed, but we produced and uh, planned everything. 
next, we'll go into uh, events. So we have done a bunch of events. Uh, check out on investorsandoperators.com, Legends Part 1, Legends Part 2, also Business Development Part 3. There have been over 250 attendees for these. The average listen time was 60 minutes. Um, but I want to highlight this because we do virtual annual meetings, like soup to nuts, virtual annual meetings. Next, uh, 51 vets. Over the past four years, I've spent over 2,000 hours working with transitioning veterans. Uh, we have a nonprofit called 51 Vets, which specifically helps uh, vets from the special operations and pilot communities. Um, Kim Bellis is a great example. Uh, she is a former Navy bomb squad uh, uh, special operations veteran. Uh, she's one of 14 women who is who is uh, had that uh, was part of that team. You know, because of a fireside chat that we did through 51 Vets, she now has a job at Academy Securities in San Diego. Um, so the way that you can help is be a fireside chat guest. You know, we have three arranged this week with you know Graham Weaver at Alpine. Uh, Jeffrey from Evolution, I think, is next week. And then also on Thursday, we have one with Greg from Windjammer. Um, so you can do lunch and learns, info interviews, internships, and jobs. You can have, through the SkillBridge program, free interns paid for by your tax dollars uh, for them to work for your firm. So I want to highlight Zach Walters. He's actively looking for an internship. Uh, 10 years in the SEAL teams. He gets out uh, next year. He's doing his MBA at UCLA, and he's actively looking for an internship uh, right now. So I'd like to then kind of go into our last slide here, which is investorsandoperators.com. This is our podcast and vlog. So 51 Labs is our marketing firm. Investors and Operators is the media side of our business. We've done 47 episodes, including with some of the panelists that you'll see today. Uh, we've done a bunch in this content of women in finance. So there's tons of content uh, out there. Check out investorsandoperators.com. Next, let's do a... Uh, in, in, in bringing Caroline Young, who is our co-host for this event. Uh, she is a director of ESG at HKW, which is one of our clients. Caroline, thank you. Awesome to see you. Can you give it an overview for us? Absolutely. I'm excited to be here. Thank you, Jordan and Jing. I'm a litigator by training, like Jing, that legal background, which I was super happy to leave. I have been at HKW for almost 20 years. Spent most of that time as the partner in charge of all divestitures, working with our portfolio companies on value creation and shepherding them through the exit. Um, 2020 actually brought some big changes for me. I switched over to being director of ESG, reduced hours, and I started my own firm, a consulting firm, which is pertinent to today's discussion on helping firms with their efforts to attract, retain, promote women through age career development engagement, as well as working with founders on preparing their companies for exit. Great. And what's the best way for them to reach out to you? Um, through HKW, you can get my HKW email. And then for my uh, consulting work, it's Caroline at Craftsbury, C-R-A-F-T-S-B-U-R-Y consulting.com. I'd love to help folks with that mission. Awesome. And LinkedIn. <laughs> of course. <laughs> All right. So Absolutely. let's introduce our rock star panel. Uh, first, I'd like to have Alex Labenthal, who's a senior advisor at Hulihan Loki, to come on. Great. Hi. Hey. Hi. Alex, can you give a quick uh, snapshot? Yes, sure. Um, I uh, spent the first 30 years or so of my career at my 
family business that was started by my grandmother and grandfather in 1925. It was originally a municipal bond firm. I uh, ran that company. I sold it, stayed with the parent company for several years until we were subsequently sold again. And then I restarted and spent 10 years building de novo and built the top woman-owned uh, broker-dealer in debt and equity capital markets. And then in 2017, decided it was time for something new. And over the course of uh, the next year or so, as well as just given my, my background, I realized that there was an opportunity kind of hiding in plain sight for an investment bank to focus on female-led companies in need of banking and advisory services, as well as female-led private equity firms. And so I joined Houlihan Loki at the beginning of September. Uh, I'm a member of the sponsors group. I'm the senior advisor there. And I am so excited because A, there was a bank that thought this was a great idea. B, they decided it was certainly a great idea to start in the middle of the pandemic and really feel like the ch second chapter of my life and career uh, began just a few months ago. So I'm, I'm thrilled to be on today. And, and Jordan, thank you for having me uh, on a few weeks ago. Um, sure. Amazing the reach that you have. <laughs> so check out her LinkedIn activity feed. We have some great content there. Also the full vlog that we shot if you wanna hear her, her full story. Next, Gretchen Perkins, partner at Avance Investment Management out of Florida. Gretchen. Thanks, Jordan and Jing. Delighted to be here. And hello, everybody who's dialed in. Um, Gretchen Perkins, I have been in private equity about 20 years. And prior to that, I was in commercial lending for about 14 years. Um, like Caroline, 2020 has brought some big changes for me. And I have uh, joined my new firm, Avance Investment Management, uh, and relocated to Florida. So we'll be based in our Miami office. We have a Miami office and a New York office. Avance is a, a brand new um, fund. We are investing in lower middle market businesses in the services sector broadly and in select consumer businesses. And I am very delighted and proud to let everyone know that our firm is currently, while small, 50-50 gender balanced. And that actually is a goal. We aspire to have 50-50 gender balance um, as we build our firm. We also are very, very, um, committed to diversity and we uh, we aspire to have a very diverse firm from you know non-gender diversity areas. Great, thank you. Melanie Brentinger, managing partner at Anagenesis. Hi, good afternoon everyone. Jordan and Jane, thank you so much for having me today. I should just note to the other comment about uh, 51 Labs reach. Uh, I was just sharing with Jordan. I had never posted anything on social media before. So the video we did the other uh, day was my first forte into uh, social media. So um, it's been quite an experience. But um, in any event, um, by way of background, my name is Melanie Brensinger. I'm a co-founder and managing partner of Anagenesis Capital Partners. We're a private credit fund focused in on the healthcare sector in the lower middle market. And um, prior to founding uh, Anagenesis, I spent about 20 years um, working with private equity firms, investing across sectors, and then most recently about uh, nine years prior to starting our firm, focused in on healthcare investing. So I'm uh, thrilled to be here today. Thank you. Michelle Noon, Managing Partner at Clearhaven Partners. 
Good morning. Thanks, Jordan and Jing, for having me. This is uh, always fun to be a part of a great group like this. So uh, honored to be included. Uh, I'm Michelle Noon. I'm a co-founder and managing partner of Clearhaven Partners. Uh, we are a Boston-based lower middle market private equity firm focused exclusively on software and software-driven technology companies. Uh, I've spent my entire investing career in and around software and technology businesses having begun back in the early days uh, of Toma Bravo, before it was called Toma Bravo on the software team there. Um, subsequently spent 11 years at a firm in Boston called Riverside Partners where I led our software practice. And in 2019, uh, just before the pandemic, I, I founded Clearhaven with a, a longtime operating partner. Um, so it's been it's been absolutely insane and fun to build our firm over the last year. Uh, you know, Jordan, you you and Jing have been building your firm. It's been really fun to to see the growth that you guys have had, and it's just a, a true. Uh, pleasure to work with you and also want to thank you for all that you're doing to promote the industry and particularly the diversity in our industry. It's it's platforms that like this one that you've enabled that really make a difference. So uh, pleasure to chat with you all today and excited to be here. And she also has a full vlog on investorsandoperators.com. Check out her story. All right, Evelise, managing partner at Avante. Not Avance, Avante. <laughs> That's right. Here we go. <laughs> uh, good morning, Jordan and Jing. Thank you for having me. And Caroline, thank you for um, hosting. It's great to be here today. So I'm Evelise Rodriguez-Simon. I'm the managing partner and one of the founders of Avanti Capital Partners. Uh, we were founded in 2009. We're a 100% women-owned fund. Um, and we just finalized fundraising on our third fund. We're substantially oversubscribed. So we're really grateful, really excited um, and happy to be here. I admire everybody on this panel. And so very happy to be here today. Great. And, uh, you know, I think it's really important to make this note, which is when we did our vlog, I think it was back in March or April, and you were sharing your story about, you know, your dad waking you and your two sisters up and every morning, you know, doing the jumping jacks and the push-ups and looking in the mirror and saying, I can, and I will, you know, for the past like nine months, we say that every single day to our oh, I love that. <laughs> single day since March. It's written on our whiteboard out there. We say, you know, I can and I will. And we say hard work pays off. And we actually scream it three times. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and she lets everyone know after we're done with our morning workout. <laughs> Thank you that that in the past year, like that made a significant difference in our family's life. Um, so next, Amy Weissman, Managing Director at Sterling. Okay, once I get the technology down, thank you so much for having me today on this panel with this impressive group of other women. I really appreciate it. I'm Amy Weissman. I'm Managing Director at Sterling Investment Partners. We are a middle market private equity fund that's been around for 30 years, and 20 of those years I've been with Sterling, uh, and it's uh, we focus on business development and distribution companies, and I'm ready to rock and roll with this panel and, and give some good advice. All righty. So before we dive into uh, the first question, I want to remind everyone who is attending, please ask questions. Please, you know, drop in your comments. We want to make this interactive and interesting and valuable for you. Uh, and hopefully there will be a part two, like we've had in the other ones, because there is so much content that we're going to cover here. Uh, my first question is to Melanie. And you and I have talked before just about your uh, I'm sorry, we're doing a poll first. Thank you for 
knocking me in the arm to remind me, much needed. Um, so let's see, please feel free to answer these. I know this is, you know, depending on the size and shape of your firm, but just want to get some general uh, stats here and then we can kind of see where this comes out. Um, all right, we're going to end this in now. Okay, so basically half people have um, zero to five women in the firm. I think this is some interesting data. We can dive into this uh, as we talk about uh, actually, let me share the results. There we go. Stop. Cool. So uh, around half the people um, who voted have zero to five women in the firm. Um, let's dive into this in a, in a little bit. Um, but the first question is for, for Melanie. And can you share your story? Like, why did you start your own firm? Can you talk about some of the things that you had shared about you know, requirements to go into this business, you starting your firm, um, you, the dynamic with you and your co-founder, some of the other things that you had mentioned uh, that were important to your story. Sure, great. Thank you, uh, Jordan. I think one of the big things that we talked about is that being an entrepreneur is not sexy. It has a lot of rewards, but um, is certainly not for the faint of heart, I think, as Michelle touched on as well. So as I mentioned in my opening, uh, yeah, I've been investing in healthcare at the time for about nine years. I was a GE Capital on the healthcare financial services team. Um, it was 2015. We had come through the financial crisis of 08. And it occurred to me that although there were private equity firms focused in on healthcare and there were some banks who had healthcare um, groups, there wasn't anyone out there that was a private credit fund focused in on the healthcare space that could be flexible with their capital and also have really strong industry expertise. So somebody told me one time that you have to be the right person at the right time, at the right place with the right idea. And with that, there's a, a better level of success that might come with what you're doing. And so, um, you know, in reflecting on that, I felt like it was the right time, the right idea, um, the right place. I don't know that I was the right person, but I, Jordan, as I shared with you, I think I was naive and cocky enough at the same time to say, you know, what's the worst case scenario? <laughs> um, and so, uh, so with that, um, I made a decision to leave um, a very uh, attractive and comfortable situation that I was in within that organization and um, teamed up with my partner. And we went out and launched our firm in uh, the end of 2015. And it took us um, a couple of years to raise our fund. Um, we've had our final close on our fund and now we're investing out of our first fund. Um, but I think um, for anybody who's out there thinking about leaving and maybe starting their own firm, um, the biggest challenge was that I'm not having a network of people around me that I could really rely on to say, how should I think about doing this? What should we be doing? You know, I found myself at Staples buying paper and pencils and, you know, finding temporary office space. and. You know, thankfully, Evelise, um, you know, I was connected with Jerry Harmon from um, Avanti very early on, and she was just a godsend to me. Um, it was um, sad and, and happy at the same time that I found another woman, but it shouldn't always be like, hey, just that one person that's out there. I mean, so many people triangulated me just to her, which shows that, um, you know, we have to have more owners out there. But, um, you know, it's, it was definitely challenging, but I saw an opportunity in the market and I, I felt confident enough and courageous enough to go and, and do it. Um, let's dive into that post that we just did. So 117 resumes, mm -hmm. zero women. That's right. What's yeah. up with that? So um, I think what's been really interesting about that, Jordan, you and I had chatted about that and then it became a blog. Um, I never really thought about what would happen once that blog went out there. 
But um, what's been really telling for me coming off of that is I thought when I became an owner of the company, like now's the time to really create change. As an owner, I can hire women and I can really make sure that this is important, not just women, but also having a diverse environment. Uh, I think GE, when I was at GE, to give you some perspective, at one point they started a women in commercial program uh, because they realized that out of 330,000 employees, there were eight women that were managing directors and above that were customer facing, which was outrageous. And so clearly they also had a challenge. So I learned a lot um, through that experience, but I thought, okay, now I'm an owner of a business. I can go and, you know, really consider women. And it's amazing um, to the post earlier, you know, we had a senior associate role and we didn't get one resume from a female, which, you know, if we don't have resumes to consider, you can't then end up hiring people. So I think, um, you know, taking a step back first, one of the things that came out of the vlog is that first, we all have to ground each other and that diversity is important and why it's important. And I think there's enough data out there that shows why it's important. And maybe some people need some reminders of that. So if we could maybe post all of that data around why diversity is important. And once people understand that that's the end goal, then we have to step back and say, how do we accomplish that goal? And part of it is making sure that people just first apply. And I was really surprised to not even have any women applying. And it's not like our credentials were so strict that it would um, you know, knock people out. And so I think part of it is why is that happening? Why aren't more people coming to the table? And from there, once people are applying, we can then create change within our industry. It's interesting because we were mentioning the post like, it's not like it's year one or month one, right? You have 274 under management. You have eight portfolio companies. You have a five-person team. Exactly. Um, so you could be competitive. Yeah. Um, so let's, uh, let's, there are a couple more questions I want to come back to you later, but Michelle, would you mind kind of sharing your story about starting the firm um, and maybe some of the early challenges that you faced? Yeah, no, thanks, Jordan. Um, you know, it's always really uh, inspiring to hear other people's stories. I'll share mine, but you know, there's lots of common threads I think that we'll hear both some of the things that Melanie just outlined and, and what I know from others to hear on the panel. Um, you know, I, I never had the vision back 15, 20 years ago to start a firm, but I did find over time uh, that I evolved into almost an imperative to do it. And, and the reason for that ultimately was twofold, two primary reasons. The first was that my target market was significant and where I was investing, you know, previously it was one slice of a, a pretty wide aperture. And I felt like I could do more within software driven tech, uh, having it stand on its own. And so really just a dedication to it, I thought allowed us to do a better job for our investors with higher velocity. So that was one thing, uh, just the market opportunity itself. The second though, um, was really about people and culture and conducting our transactions in a way that were long-term minded and relationship oriented. That was not a ubiquitous approach uh, in the industry. And, and I felt like it didn't yet exist encompassed in the way that we wanted to do it uh, as a firm here, but, but really how we were operating as a team before as well. Um, and so, you know, if you've got a market opportunity, you've got the relevant network and experience base, and you know you can go out and build a team and a culture, which in my estimation is frankly hard to do, but easier to do with a blank sheet of paper than it is to retrofit culture and values on an existing organization oftentimes. 
then it, there was no other choice. It, the only choice was to start something fresh and new. And, um, and so I did find myself in this position, uh, as we talked about on, on our blog, of accidental entrepreneurship. It was not the grand plan back when. Um, but I got to a point in my career where I had those critical foundational elements and it was time to bet on myself and on our team to create something that was uh, meaningful, that we can all find fulfilling, even while we are pursuing great investments and generating economic returns. And, um, and so, you know, it was certainly over the last year to year and a half, it's, it's been a real test, right, of that conviction because you do not start a firm any year and, and it goes smoothly. This 2020 year has been, you know, extraordinarily uh, challenging. And yet it has been, and I think will be the, the metal that binds our organization because um, it's really reinforced why we're doing this. And, and it's been incredibly rewarding, even while it's been incredibly challenging. I guess those two things kind of go hand in hand, ultimately, as we all realize in life. Um, so, uh, so it was really, you know, th those were kind of the core elements and, you know, the proof points have been as we progressed and, and, you know, what we've been able to succeed in, fail in, you know, learn from and, and keep going. Uh, lots more to do. We're, we're not as far along as, uh, as Melanie is a couple more years in or Ivelisse is um, with, with Jerry, but, um, but it's, you know, uh, these are the dog years uh, of, of building a firm. So it feels like it's been, you know, seven to 14 already. I, I think I've aged 20 years in the past four years. Right. Uh, <laughs> I, I literally have uh, in my Evernote journal, like Jing cried version one, Jing cried version 14. Because <laughs> like, but I did that intentionally just so I can remember like, yeah. this sucks. Yeah. It is yeah. hard. And then I also have like, okay, Jordan cried version 14. Um, <laughs> cafe in bathroom, no money. What am I doing? I have a kid. I should be doing X, Y, and Z. Like it sucks. Entrepreneurship is not sexy, but it's, it's all like, but it's nothing else we could have done. Like this is our life. And I think this is going to be a whole nother episode we'll do. So anybody, the attendees, if you want to attend it, please drop a note. We will be doing a, another episode on this. So let, let's, um, let's on a similar vein of starting your firms, what I'd like to do is introduce and uh, promote to the panel, uh, Sam Ori. Um, she coming on right now. Uh, so Sam is a, uh, uh, she founded a firm called Ouroboros Group based in Boston, you know, independent sponsor. And you know, what I'd like to do is, is have her come on video and just really to ask one of the questions because we want to make these interactive with the panelists. Um, and Sam, cool, great to see you. Sam, can you give a snapshot on, uh, on the firm and then you know, feel free to ask a, ask a question. Oh, absolutely. Um, my name is Samantha Ori um, and I'm the founder of the Ouroboros Group. Um, we invest in middle market uh, private equity investments in the healthcare, manufacturing and distribution and consumer sectors um, and we're geographically agnostic. So we invest all over the world. Um, thank you so much for having me, uh, Jordan Zhang. It's always a pleasure um, and it's so nice to meet you all. Uh, uh, it's just so nice to be surrounded by uh, such female power. Uh, so that's great. Um, so my question is directed towards uh, Melody or Michelle. Um, so as an entrepreneur kind of um, uh, growing your company, what are some of the growing pains that you guys have gone through um, just as you uh, uh, grow, grew throughout the, the last couple of years and scaled your business um, and your private equity shop from that startup phase into uh, more of a committed capital structure? Awesome. Yeah, thank you, Sam. It's, first of all, it's nice to meet you. I, I don't know you. And now that I know you're doing some healthcare deals, there's probably some things we can do together. 
That'd so, be wonderful. It's nice, uh, nice to meet you. And Michelle, coming off of what you just said, I feel like if if I was a cheerleader, I'd do a little cheer for you there to keep you motivated to to go because I know the the ebbs and flows of what you're going through right now, especially I can imagine during COVID. But um, I think in terms of growing pains or some lessons learned, uh, and I, it, it, this goes back to one of the points I was saying earlier, is that having a network of people around um, you that have done it before that can give you maybe some tidbits of how to think about things. I think first and foremost, when I left GE, I thought this won't be too bad not getting you know a direct deposit every two weeks. Um, and I think understanding what it means not to get paid and fund a business um, is something you really don't know until it's happening. Um, and being prepared for that, I think is really important. Um, most people told me at the time that it'd probably take about two years to raise the fund. Um, so being conservative, I estimated three years. And so I think you have to make sure that before you do it, you have to have your house in order, not just meaning your actual home, but your personal life, your personal finances together, um, just everything outside of what you're about to create you need to get that organized because you're gonna go down into a situation that um, is very different perhaps than what you've experienced before. And that could be really mentally understanding that you might have to downsize. It might be actually downsizing. It really is about getting your head straight. Just like if you're, gonna, if you're an athlete, anyone who's out there as an athlete, you don't just wake up and say, oh, I'm gonna go run a marathon. You get your body together, but part of getting your body together though is also mentally getting yourself together. Cause you know, when you're on that mile, you know, 20 going into, you know, the full marathon, it's not about your physical um, tenacity and your physical stamina. It's about your mental stamina. So I think you have to get yourself in order first. And once you have yourself in order, when you go to build, you have to just keep reminding yourself, why am I doing this? Stay focused, make sure you stay focused. What's the ultimate goal? And there'll be times when people will want to give up. You'll feel like enough is enough. You'll start to get opportunities to go, you know, join other platforms or do get great things. And you just have to make that decision. Am I gonna stay the course or am I gonna go elsewhere? And um, so being tenacious is really important. And then having some resources around you to say, you know what, it's okay. This is what happens as an entrepreneur. You're no different and just staying course. And then I think part of it too, and reflecting back, which is why I'm a huge proponent of, of people becoming owners, not just women. Um, you know, even just knowing like what third-party vendors to use, what third-party vendors do you need? What's the right time to bring in third-party vendors? Um, you know, how to think about building a team, how to, you know, now we've transitioned where we have our fundraise. And I feel like we took, we went from this stage of like sacrifice and struggle to get to where we are to now really building and growing. And when you make that transition, you can see a shift, but you also have to be really focused that when you start to hire people, you have their lives and their family lives in your hand. And then when you fundraise, you also have the fiduciary responsibility of all your LPs dollars. So it comes with a tremendous amount of responsibility. So having yourself in order is so critical and making sure you have time for yourself to keep yourself on track for sure. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I think that's really practical uh, foundational advice. It really makes a lot of sense. And I will, uh, I'll, I'll give the quick uh, story on that because my, we had a second home and prior to founding Clearhaven, 
we put that home on the market and, and, and sold it. And that was not only my personal decision, that was the family decision. In fact, the house we had built from scratch down to the doorknob, and it was about, I don't know, a stone's throw from my in-laws. So the inertia around selling that home was strong against it. Um, but we, you know, my husband and I kind of aligned on it and, and we made that choice, which was painful. We brought both of our kids home into that house, you know, but there are sacrifices and you have to set up for it. It's not gonna be, you know, the, the steady state comfortable feeling that you've had at a larger platform. So I, I can't uh, underscore that enough. I'd say that also relates to more general um, uh, point on expectation setting and and set your own expectations. And those that are in, in the trench with you, you know, as much as possible, set them you know, appropriately. And oftentimes that's, you know, for me, at least how I operate, I need to kind of like under promise and over deliver. So I'm always trying to put, you know, bounds around the expectation so that the reality, you know, is upside to what we're, we're setting up for. That's not for everybody, but that's sort of how I've operated. And I think managing your own expectations around speed and what can go right or wrong, um, it just sets you in the right kind of mental framework for the reality that it is hard. There are lots of curveballs. I mean, the number of days, I'm sure all of us on this panel, that we're just dealing with the onslaught of negative thing after negative thing happening, and you just have to process through it. And you just keep one foot in front of the other. You tackle one task after another and you keep moving forward. And then there are other days where it's great and there's elation and there's, you know, and, you know, can't get too excited about yourself those days either. So, you know, I think uh, expectation setting is, is sort of a mental, uh, you know, requirement um, to get through what will be a pretty dark tunnel and, and pretty long uh, a challenge. Uh, and then the last thing I would say is anyone who's thinking of starting a firm probably has succeeded, you know, in some way or another over the course of their their academic career, their their professional career, probably pretty used to getting things right, and perhaps has not you know, necessarily speaking about myself, it's speaking about myself, perhaps some perfectionistic tendencies. That's a really bad part of the of, of any equation if you're trying to include that in founding a firm. You know, you've got to be ready to make mistakes. As I tell my team, we're, we're comfortable with making mistakes as long as they're original mistakes. If you're making, a, you know, the same mistake uh, twice or three times, that's, that's not learning from it. Um, but there is absolutely going to have to be this level of increased tolerance of yourself and other people along the way, because it will be, uh, there will be issues there. Everything won't be done correctly the, the first time. And so I think just, again, the framework around, you know, expectation setting around mistakes is important to, to getting through the darker days. Awesome. Thanks. Uh, thanks for joining us, Sam. Um, so let's transition now to uh, Ivelisse and, and your story. Um, and then just for a quick time check here, it's 1236. So let's spend the next five minutes on this topic. And then let's transition over to some broader topics around how women can succeed, you know, from a, as a junior, as a mid-level and the questions around that. Um, Jing, over to you. Yes. So this question is directed to Ivelisse. Um, so we, also, we just now mentioned a little bit about, you know, having a family, how to balance um, basically get your families involved or they have to be involved in your decision-making. Uh, so Evelise, um, I know some of your stories about, you know, how you started a firm and you were basically pregnant with your twins and you were signing, they literally signing the documents in your bedroom. Um, so how do you, and that was just probably a start, right? Everybody knows that giving birth is just a start of the 
you know, a lot of other things. How do you actually balance a family with managing a firm? Sure, um, I, I love this question. And I'll, I'll start by just um, explaining a little bit more our, our founding story, Avanti's founding story. Um, you know, Jerry Harmon has been mentioned on this call. There's a lot of reasons so many of us love and admire her. Um, I, in particular, are very grateful to Jerry because Jerry, when she started her firm, she didn't just say she was um, committed to diversity or supporting women. She really acted on it. So she hired me. I was the first person that she hired. And I was a Puerto Rican girl pregnant with twins. Not really your best candidate for a co-founder right? in private equity, but she believed in me and, and she made it so that I was able to be successful regardless of the challenges of having a young family. Um, I had a third child a year and a half later, um, unexpectedly <laughs> to all of us, but it was, um, you know, it was very, it was challenging. We, we literally were fundraising at my bedside because not only was I pregnant with twins, but I got bed rested at five months. And so we were um, fundraising at my bedside and we made it, we made it work. And what happened was it really was the foundation of our culture and what, what priority of, of our firm was. And you know, fast forward 11 years, we have 16 people, nine of them are women, and they range from our intern, our associate, analyst, VP, partner, and we really have a firm that works for women and a firm that has been able to capitalize and leverage um, and really become unique and have stronger results uh, as, because of our diversity, because of our strength of our culture. Um, and so to Melanie's point, you know, there are real returns that you get from being diverse, right? You have different diversity of thought, you have different, um, you know, people coming to the table, you make better decisions. And we've been able to do that uh, because we have a culture and a firm that allows women to be successful, allows working moms to be successful. That's something we're, you know, we're really proud of. It was, can you share a story with... Uh... You and Caroline actually mentioned yeah, the yeah. I was, was going to say that there's there's just there's been a lot of people that have helped um, helped us in this process, right? Helped make a culture because we didn't have all the answers. And you know, at one point, I had three children that were you know I had two three year olds and a two year old, and um, I was really overwhelmed. I was trying to work. My husband was the one that just was at the bottom of the barrel. He just he got no time. I think a lot of us probably understand that, right? Children come first, work kind of, you know, and then the husband's way down at the bottom. And I was telling Caroline, I didn't even know why I had just met her, but I was so upset. I almost broke down in tears and just said, this is my life. And rather than say, you know, suck it up lady, like this, you know, it's just tough for all of us. She gave me really great advice that we use to this day, which was to just take time and have a weekend away with him. It was that simple. And I think it kind of saved my marriage. Thank you, Caroline. I'm married now 15 <laughs> years later and we still do it. We still have our weekends away. We actually take a weekend every quarter and a long trip every year. And that's been easier now that the kids are older, but it's just women along the way, like Caroline that have really supported us, right? And supported me and made it possible. And I think that that's really the power of women and what we have to do. We have to support each other. We have to help give each other advice. Um, and we have to help each other make firms that are conducive to women. Right? Awesome. And I think another Thanks. takeaway here is find your tribe, whether your tribe, sure. is, 
women, you know, all up and down the up and down in the industry, or maybe your tribe is veterans, or maybe your tribe is women in private equity or private credit, like find your tribe. So you have that support network. Totally. Um, so over to the next question. Actually, this is, this is, you know, as my background, I come from the legal world. It's honestly uh, the proportion of men versus women, um, minority percentage is very similar. So I, you know, I worked in the men's world for over 10 years. And so this question is to Amy and Gretchen, as a woman in a man's world, how do you build your network? How do you actually go out there and, you know, network and build people around? You, you? built such an incredible career. Gretchen, we need to, we need to co-answer this together because Gretchen <laughs> and I have been on the road together for over 20 years. Yes, we, we have. both know our kids' stories and leveraged off of each other when there was really no women out there. I mean, and I mean, Gretchen, I, I don't know if you even know this, but sometimes I would set up dinners with investment bankers that were always, of course, mostly all, all men, obviously. And I would say, Gretchen, will you come to dinner? And Gretchen <laughs> is the best to have at a dinner because she keeps that conversation going the entire time. Um, so that is a bit of, of advice that I maybe would throw out there that if you ever do feel uncomfortable, you know, inviting a bunch of guys out to dinner, well, even if they are not at your firm, invite another woman with you and co-network together. And, you know, because building networks are critical, but Gretchen, you know, we've been on the road a long time. We have. You know, in answer to the question, how do you build out your network? Back when Amy and I started, you know, 20 years ago, it was 100% boots on the ground, right? You had to go to conference after conference. You had to go to different cities, set up meetings in people's offices. But the way to really build the kind of deep relationships slash friendships with the deal referral sources, you have to hang out with them, you know, outside of a meeting. And so... Um, you know, I had kids, you know, my kids are, are grown and out of the house now, but when they were there, you know, you have to make a commitment to spend evenings networking in your industry, having dinner with people, having drinks, maybe going golfing. Um, you really, that's, at least that has been my best way of doing it. It was also, you know, kind of pre- Pre the power of LinkedIn days. So, you know, the way you meet somebody is you'd read an attendee list, you'd walk into a conference and you'd hope you'd bump into them or you'd ask somebody if they know them. So um, now, now certainly in the pandemic and um, with LinkedIn, the power of LinkedIn, you know, you can find if there, you should, you should prepare before you do a virtual deal source or go to a conference when we do that again, um, figure out who you want to meet and LinkedIn, all those people, and see who you know who can make a warm introduction to you by email. And then you can say, hey, can we, can we connect for five minutes at the reception? Or can we have a 20-minute meeting? But um, you know, another thing I, I would like to comment on um, a point Melanie made, which is you know, sometimes you have to remind people why it's important to have diversity in your firm. And I am in the really enviable position of joining my founders um, myself and my colleagues, Valentina and Jamie, who I think are dialed in here. So shout out. We are the first three employees of our firm. And so we didn't have to convince our founders that having a diverse firm 
is a good idea. And they're, you know, they're backing it up with their actions as well. And, um, you know, the reason for it is not because it's noble and it's not because the LPs like it. It's not because it's hot topic. It's because we think it'll lead to better returns, you know, to build a firm that looks like us and looks like the country um, is just smart, is just good business for return. So Melanie, I appreciate you bringing that up. And I decided to take that opportunity to you know, maybe remind people on the phone who don't understand that. There's all sorts of data that backs that up as well. And, um, and to talk about building a network to to junior, you know, people that are maybe earlier in your career. I mean, it is critical. And those are the people that rise up with you in your career. So, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of us, and I met Alexandra also networking and, you know, and Caroline and everyone here on the call. I mean, it, you need to really build those relationships early on and those are the people you're going to see along the way so i can't emphasize that enough yeah and jordan you had mentioned um us leveraging women's networks for sure leverage women's networks but you can't do that that can't be your largest source because you know 90 percent of the people we need to meet in our industry are male so another just very practical piece of advice is drives me nuts when i go to a conference and i see like you know, a pod of women hanging together and they don't mingle, you know, and they're just, they feel comfortable in the pod, which is great, but you should use that pod and say, okay, who knows so-and-so, can you introduce me? Let's walk around, let's try to find, you know, help each other, um, as Amy was saying as well. Um, Help each other, but don't just stick to one another because there's only 10% of us in in the industry now and we're not going to grow it if we don't um, more fully network. It's kind of, I think what we're really talking about with the question, like, how do you build out your network? What is this, what are we really discussing? How do you form meaningful relationships? The way that you form meaningful relationships is by forming a relationship with that mentality, not transactional. Right. And so another for, you know, a great tactical advice here for the juniors and mid-levels out there, for example, is host the party. What are we doing right here? We're hosting the party. When we interview, you know, Evelise, Michelle, or Alex, who have been on our vlog, or Caroline, you know, doing a vlog, we're, that's one of the things to host the party. That's forming a meaningful relationship. And then you start, so why don't you do something like Southern California or Northeastern, you know, people who are 30 under 30, who cares? You don't have to be part of an organization. Host the party, do it yourself, figure it out. Well, and particularly now with the virtual platforms, like before, you'd have to actually spend a whole bunch of money and run a golf outing now. Pretty, pretty easy. <laughs> I was just gonna, I just add, um, if you don't mind, on the network side, um, and we had, we had touched on this before as well. Even before founding our firm, uh, I realized when I was looking at companies, all the companies had board of directors. And so I kind of took that upon myself and said, you know, why don't I create my own kind of personal board of directors, or I call them trusted advisors. Mm-hmm. And it's a group of people, men and women of all different, they're not even necessarily in our industry, but um, just people that I really value their opinion. I trust their judgment. I value our relationship. And I've been building that over about 20 years now. And I have six people right now that any major decision I'm making or anything that's happening, I call them individually and, and run, them, run it past them. Um, and it's been so incredibly helpful for me. So I would encourage junior people as well as more senior people think about who's in your life or maybe who you need to get just like as a board's getting built out they see a gap and then go after that person 
And, you know, they know the six people I have on my trusted advisor list, they know who they are. They don't maybe even know each other, but they know why they're on that list and how important. And, and I try to do the same for them, but it doesn't always have to be, um, you know, the reciprocity in their relationship. But um, most people are really energized around that and feel really um, fortunate that they can be a help to someone else. So I would encourage others to do that as well. It's been really helpful for me. But that really brings up a good point. Like Alexandra, I mean, who, who have been your role models and how have you built this out? Well, you know, the thing, first of all, about role models, I, before I name, and I do have many, um, is that I think it's important to understand that, first of all, they evolve. Um, they may be role models for you for a specific reason, for at a specific point in time. Um, you know, maybe because it's the way they've handled crises, or it may be because they are supporters of, of other women. Um, and then I think also they can be role models uh, and they can be unusual people that you wouldn't normally expect would be a role model. So, you know, one of my role models right now is a young woman whose advisory board uh, I sit on who created an incredible fixed income uh, pricing platform, has all of a sudden gotten major corporate bond issuers to be a part of it. She's doing it thoughtfully. And I'm just like, wow, I wish I could have known her, her then. So, um, you know, to, to look for those role models in, in what they are um, representing specifically. But I do have a couple of people I, I would like to specifically mention. So um, having mentioned my, my grandmother early on, how could I not have as a role model my grandmother who started a company on Wall Street in 1925, worked until she was 93 years old, um, didn't let anyone or anything stand in her way and she was four foot 10. Um, you know, that's how lucky, incredibly lucky was I to have her as a role model. Um, and it's funny, actually, I just found an old New York Times thing of her yesterday. It said, Mrs. Labenthal is back at work after having a baby. And I thought the New York Times printed things like that in those days. Um, but so she's clearly one of my major role models. Um, and then there are two other women on Wall Street. One is Mary Erdos, who runs Wealth and Asset Management at J.P. Morgan. Mary is smart, she's successful, she's running a huge area of J.P. Morgan, but she is a woman who is never too busy or never too successful to stop and help other women. And um, I have been the recipient of that from a business perspective and from a personal perspective. Um, and, uh, you know, just aspire to be that way for other women as well. Um, and then uh, Barbara Byrne, who was a vice chairman at Lehman, subsequently at Barclays. Uh, she's now head of the audit committee at Viacom. Um, she is the type of person who will tell it to you straight, uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly. She has an unbelievable way of thinking strategically about everything. So whether um, I have a crisis or whether I, in fact, even in developing this new business idea, she was the one of the people I went to first because I knew I was gonna get that, that straight shooting um, um, component from her. So uh, there are probably about 20 others that, as I said, uh, fit various different um, aspects of being a role model. But again, just, you know, always, and it's the same thing for mentors, it's just like looking for that, that unusual, uh, you know, gem uh, that does something for you. 
I think we can do a whole nother part about this role models and mentorship, you know, for example, like what specifically do you do? For example, Hey, every, like for me in uh, transitioning veterans, basically every night at 8 PM, that's my dad's doing dishes time. And I'll take basically any call with transitioning veterans that I work with, as long as they're fine with me doing dishes in the background. So like, that's a, you know, something specific for people in the industry is like maybe block out that specific time to have a specific impact. Um, Well, you know, Jordan, if I could also just add, I always, first of all, I think we're probably all the same where somebody says, oh, you're wonderful and fabulous and successful. You kind of look behind you to figure out who they're actually talking to. But, um, you know, I think when someone says you're one role model because you're so successful, that rings hollow to a certain extent. Like, no, I want to be a role model because I have bruises and bumps and scrapes and scars and, you know, managed to to make it through. Um, So really having sort of that understanding of what it has taken for that person to get where they are to the point where you look at them as a role model. And I I think um, that also reminds me of something which is like, it just sounds like BS when someone's saying, oh, you're so successful. Like, let's cut the crap. Like, let's have a meaningful discussion. Where's something specific I can help you out with to make that a productive discussion? Um, like, you know, giving me like no BS feedback on the resume. Like, this is good. This is bad. Fill that in. Yeah, that's but maybe- also part of, part of like, how do you be a mentee? Mm-hmm. What question to ask? How to prepare for talking with a mentor? That goes to maybe this is a whole nother session of yeah, that's in that. We're going to do another episode um, on that. <laughs> um, okay, cool. So let's turn this over to uh, uh, shifting gears a little bit to Caroline. And, you know, one of the things that you had, you know, over your career in private equity, um, you had really a thought like, what is number one, what is your advice for women beginning their careers within private equity? Um, and then the second question is like, you know, when you're the only female in the room, how do you become your authentic self rather than blending it in to the predominantly male room? And then that question can also be for the, the panel here. Sure. Um, well, I think one of my the most important things, and this was actually in a little vlog that I did with Jordan, is get comfortable being uncomfortable because that's where you're growing. That's where you're stretching. Um, you really got to put yourself out there. And, and we, I'm sure everyone on this panel, we all deal with confidence issues at times. And you just got to know uh, that's okay. It's okay to be scared. It's okay to be nervous about what's coming up. But if you don't speak up, and when you're in a room with men, there's sometimes not a lot of airspace, but you got <laughs> to put yourself out there. You know, no one's going to know how smart you are if you're not contributing to the conversation. Um, and confidence can manifest itself in a lot of different ways, like spending too much time on an email or, um, you know, over-preparing. But you just kind of got to work through that. Know you're not alone and, and keep, keep stretching. You know, we've talked a lot about mentors. Uh, so I won't go into too much, but I just, I wouldn't be where I was, I, where I am today without some really fabulous people. And that's not a formal mentor program. It's just, you find the most, you know, find that person in your organization who's really smart, but who's also consistent with how you want to be and how you want to connect with people. You know, you need your, and you need your sounding boards. Um, another thing is support one another. I mean, 
I can't tell you how supportive this group of women is right here. And there are so many fabulous women out there that want to support you. So network with them. Um, and if you see a woman do something really well on your team, call it out because we're not all great at patting ourselves on the back. Hey, good job. So if someone does something good, you know, call it out. And then really to your point of authenticity, I, you just can't overemphasize how important that is. You, you can't really connect with somebody if you're not being your authentic self. It's like, it's like that person's connecting with someone who's not even you and they feel it. And so being yourself in that room, thinking about kind of what matters to you and how you want to interact with people is just so, so important. And just remember that the whole reason why having more women on the team is because you're bringing a different way of looking at things and acting. And, you know, it's always, it's always a spectrum, but, you know, if you're just trying to look and act like all the people in the room with you, you're losing out on the huge benefit that you bring to being at that table. You know, you have different perspectives. So just don't be able, afraid to leverage those, those perspectives and um, put yourself out there. But I'm sure, you know, all of you have, have good points like Gretchen, you know, you like me have been in, you know, 90, you know, almost all my meetings are with all men. How do you, how do you be your authentic self when you're in a group of men? Um, I, I thought a, a lot about that um, when that was first brought up. Um, I, I guess I've always had the confidence to just show up and I am who I am. Um, and I will, I will tell you at my new firm, I was, um, I was preparing a response to something and I was bouncing it off um, one of my colleagues, one of my founders. And I said, what do you think? Is this too like casual? People who know me, I'm very casual in my email exchanges. Um, I'm not all buttoned up. I mean, I'm not inappropriate, obviously, but you know, I, I generally speak in a casual tone. And I said, should I reword that? And he said, no, you do you, you know, do you do you? And so that kind of thing, you know, just, you know, even now this long into my career, I'm, I was checking myself. I'm like, Ooh, is this okay to send it like this now that I'm representing this new firm? Um, but I think you just, you just have to own who you are, right? If you, you know, especially this networking is hard if you're introverted, right? I get that. I get that it's really difficult for people who are introverted. So you can do your networking online more. And again, I'm just going to pound again. It really, it wasn't until COVID that I realized the full power of LinkedIn. And Jordan and Jing, you guys have a great business going because I think everybody's realizing this now. And I think that's a good way, practical way to try to network if you're not the type of person who's gonna walk up to people you don't know at a conference or just introduce yourself. Um, and, and Amy's practical advice was good, team up with other people. Team up with other people to help you develop your network because you know I think once you're, even if you are introverted, that first interaction is hard. But after that, obviously everybody's fine. You talk about what's in your life. I've always talked about my kids a lot possibly too much, but, um, you know, that really other, most other people have kids too. And I also think going forward with sort of, uh, skill sets that are, uh, been aligned with women, 
is refreshing for some of these men that are with a lot of other men. I mean, I can't tell you how their eyes light up when you ask them about their kids, because probably no one else has asked them all day long about their kids. Mm -hmm. So, True. you know, use it as an asset. Um, this is being, being authentic, being your authentic self is also, has also been a challenging um, thing to me. I'm an introvert. And plus, I, I was in a world where I was required to be, you know, making, doing the BD, reaching, uh, going out and, you know, talking with other people was extremely difficult. And I had to try to balance being professional versus being too much. I, I'm a very bubbly person even though I'm an introvert. So how, how, do you, how do you show who you are and so people connect with you, um, but also remain professional? And I think in this aspect, Jordan helped me a lot and, and ensured me that it's okay to be yourself. It's okay to send an email that is not like one, two, three, four, five, you know? Um, so I, I think there's a- That's mine, because I can't write paragraphs. It is difficult and it is, it's, I think it personally, I think it's, personal hurdle it's not other people might view you differently but not as much as you think it matters but i think this reminds me of something in our dynamic even the 10 years that we've known each other um i've had to learn as her husband to learn how to just shut up and just even talk. in meetings <laughs> because the way she thinks about things is like let's think a lot more and then i'll have a very deliberate thought and that makes me think about in meetings in um, that we do, as well as in the boardroom for companies out there, people being conscious of, I even noticed here, my arm was in front of her. And then I noticed like, oh, that's subconscious. Like I should, <laughs> it's all these little things that matter in a meeting on how people are respected. And I think that's a, it's making me think about, you know, yes, we're in a virtual environment. You have a whole nother set of cues that when you think about like not interrupting as much or how to manage the nonverbal stuff, which is equally important about creating a culture in the firm that bleeds down to your portfolio companies because they see it. Yeah. What, what are, what are you offering? I was just going to add that, um, you know, when we were out fundraising, one of the feed things that I got personally from a feedback perspective and investors at the end of the day, just like people who, you know, we finance our business and invest in their companies, at the end of the day, business is about the people. You know, we can all run spreadsheets. We can all do underwriting analysis. We can do a ton of things, but I'm sure other people out there that are investing people's dollars realize that when there's errors, it's usually about the people and where there's success, it's about the people and the management team. So at the end of the day, and we all love to be around people that we enjoy being around, right? So when we were out fundraising, one of the things that I personally got feedback on is that people said, like, you're just so authentic. I feel like I can trust you with my money. I feel like if something goes wrong, you're going to be transparent and talk to me about it. And you just seem like a genuine person. And it was so telling to me on this topic that we're just talking about. And, and to the point that was raised, I think by you, Amy, like people realize when you're not being authentic and they can't connect with you and you just seem disingenuous. And when I was starting my career and I'm for many of the women, um, we're all in similar ages, you know, there were no women around. And I remember like when coming up through the, my career, I felt like I should wear pantsuits. I should wear no makeup. I should pull my hair back. I should like not wear too much jewelry. I was so confused about what I was supposed to do, how I was supposed to look, how I was supposed to act. And then at one point early in my career, a guy from another investment bank said, Melanie, why don't you ever wear skirts? And I thought <laughs> it was the craziest thing. 
I remember sitting there and like feeling like I was supposed to get offended. But if you've ever had somebody say something to you and you're like, I should be pissed. But then you're like, hold on. Is there a point that (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, tell me more about this. Right. And I couldn't tell, like, is this inappropriate? I was so confused. And I said, why should I wear skirts? Like, what are you trying to say? I got very defensive initially. And he said, it's not even about it. It's that everybody around you is in pants. Everybody's wearing the same suits, the same everything. Be different and embrace your difference. Wear a skirt. If you walk in with a skirt, the whole room is men. I assure you, no one else is wearing a skirt. (laughs) I always said that was my marketing differentiator, especially 20 years ago, that I was just a woman. Like, what's your marketing differentiator? Oh, a woman. It sticks with me even today. Like, wow, wearing a skirt was different. And then when I talked to other women, like wear a skirt and uh, younger women, like then people get confused too and take it to the other level and like use their sexuality to move ahead. So I think it's about finding a balance between what makes you different and embrace that and being a woman, but also don't use sexuality, lead with sexuality. And um, just another quick tidbit, you know, there was a guy coming, a client coming from Canada one time and like all the guys around me were like traipsing him around at steakhouses. And then it occurred to me, like, heck with this. I'm not even going to a steakhouse. And I realized that he loved the New York Rangers. And so I got tickets to the New York Rangers and said, like, hey, meet me over at Madison Square Garden. And we went to a Rangers game and we're sitting there at the Rangers game. He's like, I have to tell you, this is awesome. I said, oh, yeah, it's a great game. He's like, no, no, no. I've been at steakhouses for the last four nights since I've been in the U.S. Now I'm at the Rangers game drinking a beer with you. I'm eating like this ridiculously disgusting hot dog. And we're watching a great great ice hockey game. Like, I'm never going to forget this. And those two points in my career I just raised for people coming up in their career, be different and be okay with being different. And people will love that for you. And and they'll, they'll really appreciate that about who you are as a person. Can I just jump in on that for a second? Because this is something that is so super important to me. Amy um, had me do a panel, I don't know, when we did panels in in physical spaces. Um, And it was for young women in private equity, so 22 to 26 years old. And I was looking at this sea of women in all black, black tights, Tory flats. And to me, they just faded into the background and it killed me because those women are not going to walk into the room and have a guy say oh yes she stands out she carries herself well and I notice her and if if I could you know be a fashion consultant um to women starting out their careers I, I would do it pro bono because it makes such a big difference put a gold belt on put a pair of suede boots on people notice and you feel better about yourself as well. So I'm so glad you said that. Can I go around the table here and ask, like, what is one thing that you have done? Quick flash flash around here. What is one thing that you've done consciously to be different? Um, Caroline, starting with you. Yeah, female and PE. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, just being relaxed and and just connecting you know, being goofy, you know, not being afraid to, to connect in, in a way that is totally different from the people around me and, and, and just really caring who, who's in the room and what they're thinking about. I think it, that stands out because people, pe- people feel that difference that you're really there and you're interested in them. Amy, what about you? Is there one thing like, for example, and maybe to help provide a context, like I intentionally wear t-shirts. 
This is part of our brand, which is the approachability of it. Well, you um, also intentionally wear very colorful shirts because you are a shorter guy. What? <laughs> I can't tell it. I'm walk into what are you talking about? We walk into a room and make sure, full of suit and make sure that he stands out. Even though his shorter is wear a brighter shirt. Yeah, I did that in Japan, and apparently I should have worn a tan suit into a meeting. No bueno. Um, but um, one, I, of the, one of the things that I always do is I always try to do a give, right? Even if I can't figure out a way to connect with someone, even if it's a recent book that I've read, um, I'll talk about the book, and then I'll send them the book. I mean, so it's always I like to leave with, what can I give you? And right. even if it's not a deal or whatever, maybe it's just some cool thing I read in a book or an article, or I'll send them something. I like that. Mm -hmm. Michelle? Um, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't say that I've done something very intentional to stand out. As Caroline said, it, you know, by definition, I think we stand out in this industry. Um, but I do think it is very hard to uh, continue to have the energy for a job like this if you aren't your authentic self. It's just too much work. It's already too much work on its own. Trying to be someone you're not is impossible over a long period of time. And I realized that really early on. And that was a real benefit to me uh, to persevere. And frankly, it made more connections possible for all the reasons that were previously articulated. So I always wore colorful things. You know, people say, what is business casual? I mean, I'm always wearing like, I like dresses and blazers. That's my thing. I have like too many blazers probably in my closet, but like, that's what's comfortable for me. And, you know, I didn't really care. And, and by the way, the men, no offense to any of the men on the line, but they don't really think one thing or another, like just be who you are, wear what you want to wear, um, you know, respectably, of course. Um, but I think those things reinforce just, the, you know, the, the virtuous cycle around being who you are and connecting with people. I'm not afraid to crack a joke in the middle of a meeting that's a serious meeting, because at the end of the day, let's not all take ourselves too seriously here. You know, we all put our, you know, so to speak, pants on, you know, one leg at a time at the beginning of the day. And we all have families. And, you know, I think about some of the absolute crazy, you know, you know what that happens before you walk into these professional board meetings or the stuff that you're dealing with at home. You know, you're, you're wiping someone's butt one morning and you're coming into the office, you know, being chairman of a meeting an hour or two later. We're all doing that, everybody in that room. And, and I, I had a conversation with a good friend of mine who's a male GP at a, a well known private equity firm a few months back. And, he told me this story that is uh, stuck with me. And he's like, yeah, Michelle, I, I got home that night. I had this huge board meeting for a new deal at the next morning at 7 a.m. I get home. I got one kid in my bed with my wife who was sick. My in-laws are taking the guest room. I actually slept in the hallway for like four hours that night before <laughs> I showed up. And I'm picturing this guy who, of course, shows up as, you know, master of the universe in the boardroom the next day. We're all doing that. So I, I guess I'd say... Uh, the sooner you can just kind of, you know, find your groove and be comfortable and it's not going to appeal to everyone and that's okay. I'm not trying to be a one size fits all for every company, every, you know, employee, every management team. That's okay. Um, but, uh, you know, be respectful, be true to your values and integrity and just, you know, be who you are. And, and I'm fortunate that I, I feel like I was able to be comfortable with that early on in my career. And I think that brings up a good point, which especially for the people at their earlier stage in their, in their career, in their 20s, like um, be who you are, because that's also like the best self that's going to play out in the long run in the next 10, 20 years. And if, if you're not who you are for enough years at one firm, maybe you're at the wrong firm. 
Yeah. Yes. Um, Evelise, can you uh, love to hear your thoughts on on this? And I know a couple of times you wanted to jump in. Yeah. No, I just I wanted to say that one of the things that I do and I've done for a long time is just share myself and my story. And I I find if I bring who I am and myself, and not only um, am I okay with it, I'm proud of it. Right. So I'm not only a woman. I'm a Latina. And I grew up in a really poor neighborhood. I just, I have a very different background than most people in the industry. Um, you know, I remember I graduating college, I went to go interview at Solomon Brothers. And the night before the interview, we went to have sushi. I had never even seen sushi in my whole life. And they put this bowl of green stuff in front of me and I thought it was guacamole. And I took a big scoop of it and I ran to the bathroom because it was wasabi <laughs> and I started to cry thinking I thought this is what like I'm totally out of my element and that was a, it was a switch for me though because I said but that's okay I'm going to go back and share why I had that big scoop and I did I went back and I said I thought it was guacamole that's what I eat and everybody laughed and loved it and I from then I thought okay I'm just going to bring who I am it's very different it's and but it's special and um you know I don't where, I mean, Alex, I'm going to take you up in your fashion because I'm the worst. I'm just, I let, like, I look at Michelle, you're so beautiful, that beautiful blue. Um, I don't have that, but I just have me, right? I just bring me. That's awesome. And that, um, it's really interesting because it makes me also think to the point what is memorable and different, which is when you share the, I actually lead with our story first. And you you all know this in in our calls, like I lead with our personal update. And, and what I realized is that not doing that is short-sighted and it's like, Hey, we're only going to have one call ever as opposed to, no, I'm going to know you for years. So why not just start with, Hey, here's who I really am. You know, we have a one-year-old and four-year-old winter shoebox in Jersey city. And, you know, I failed in, in everything in my life and that's how I got into entrepreneurship, no other options. Um, and then you've all have heard the update over the past, you know, year, two years, but then it's like, and then you get, that's a foundation for, I think discussions because in either doing deals, doing projects, whatever, like if you don't have trust, like nothing else matters. Um, so I, I was wondering, you know, Amy, if, if there was a time in your career when you felt like, or how do you think you have evolved throughout your career to now being a managing director at a private equity firm and you managing that with your identity as a woman? How do you balance that or have you? And because I ever asked that because Evelise, you know, Avante really leans into your identity of, you know, I think even when you're in fundraising, you're saying like, no, we are female owned operated. This is how we're different. Where there are other people who say, no, that's just part of who I am. So Emmy, for you, the question is like, how have you maybe balanced that? And maybe what are some mistakes that you have done earlier in your career in managing who you really are to where you're at now? Um, I think a couple of things that I would say to that is I've always loved the business of business and always loved a good entrepreneurial story. And, you know, Jordan, that's why I'm so attracted to you and your story and everything you're doing is incredible. Um, And so I have to say, when I look back at my career, I didn't think about a lot of stuff that I think about now. Like I didn't think about having a mentor or I didn't think about, um, consciously, you know, that I, you know, I I sort of see it as like helpful ignorance. I just sort of went for it. And I think now I'm just, just a little bit more thoughtful about, um, 
creating structure around what I'm doing um, in terms of networking and um, and sort of what I do. But but it was successful for me because it was almost like an innocence of just meeting people and going out there and you know it was just sort of like a an empty road of because there weren't a lot of people doing what we were doing. I mean, so in terms of business development in private equity, um, but, you know, now I think, you know, now there's a lot more structure around what I do. Um, uh, Nicole, who's our, uh, our master of series behind the scenes, can you also do a poll five after this, which is let's pull the audience here on the male and female balance here. Cause I know some uh, uh, men signed up for this, but I think it's really interesting just to get some data. Um, and then, so the, while we're doing this, my next question is um, for people at the mid stage of their career, you know, we went through this with our family, like, what do we want to do with having after kid number one? And now after kid number two, like, what do you really, do you really want to be a lawyer for the rest of your life and go down the partner track? If, if, that, if that's it, let's cool, let's do it. So I was wondering maybe in your, uh, in your careers, when you were at that inflection point, um, Maybe your story, how did you balance that and some things that you learned it? Like what should people consider as they're at that mid stage of their career um, and maybe considering families or not? Um, Caroline, would love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, I think it's really important to kind of visualize what you want for yourself. If, if you don't have a view of where you wanna go, you're never gonna get there. So, um, taking back, stepping back and taking the time to think about what really matters to you. Like when I was going from litigation to PE, I read this book, it was uh, The Path, and it was about creating your own mission statement. And um, had this exercise, what's your ideal day? And I took out my pad and I wrote down, you know, at that time it was like kids and I wanted, you know, I, I just laid out, what do I want my ideal day? And then I swear five months later, that was my ideal day. But if you don't think about, you know, what matters, how do I want to structure things? And it didn't mean I thought, oh, I want to be at a PE fund. I, I didn't really even know what private equity was at the time. But, you know, opening myself to what matters, how do I want to be as a person? I wrote my own mission statement, which was to spread light and joy to those around me and promote kindness and respect for humanity. And that doesn't sound like a PE mission, but it's what grounds me and what um, has kind of enabled me to go out and do different things. So, you know, now that I'm starting a new chapter again, it was about visualizing what do I want for myself? What are my strengths and how can I play to them? And then making it happen. Yeah, I love that. It's, it sounds like five years ago, 10 years ago, I was like, ah, it's just fluff. Principles-based? Like, why do we need principles? Like, just let me do the financial model or the deck. But then I realized now, like, having that North Star, like, our North Star is to build meaningful relationships in the M&A and VC communities. Now, we can do that in events. We can do that in videos. We can do that, et cetera. But, like, that's our North Star is meaningful relationships. Um, so let's kind of do some closing thoughts, and then we'll wrap up in the next 10 minutes. Uh, Gretchen, of all the things that we've discussed today, like what is the big takeaway? What's the big picture? Here's, I, I have, um, I, for me, um, the big takeaway to share, especially those who are a little more junior in their career, is a, touching on what Michelle said. Um, not everyone's going to like you, and that's okay. 
And that has been the big evolution in my career. You know, until I was in my late 30s, I was very much a pleaser. I still am a pleaser. That's my personality. I'm very outgoing, but it's too exhausting to try to convince people that don't, you know, just don't care for my big personality. And that's fine. And what I try to do is recognize those that get irked by this type of personality. And I might dial it back, but I probably won't. But I'm okay, I'm okay with that, right? Because the relationship we have is based on substance and, you know, that sort of thing. You just, you just, you just not, not everyone's going to like you, everybody. That's just a thing. Um, and uh, to Caroline's point, you need to know what's most important to you. So like for me, I didn't, I didn't decide, you know, based upon my career when I'd have my children. I have two kids, they're in their twenties now. I wanted it, my mission, my North Star was, I wanted to have, I would be done having kids by the time I was 30. So I had one at 28 and I had one at 30. And, and then it just all works out from there. Um, and, you know, you can do this in this industry. All of you people who are dialing in and wondering if it's possible, you know, I think most of us, if not all on this panel have kids and it's, very possible. You just need to know, you know, that it's going to be hard, but it's obviously super gratifying. And if you do choose to have kids, many won't, and that's completely cool, obviously. But if you do, my biggest piece of advice for all women, and I'm sure there's women dialing in who've heard me tell them this, be unapologetic. Once you have your kid, be unapologetic. You know, if you got to leave at 5.30 to go get the kids from daycare and then you get home and you throw some, you know, throw, as I always told my kids, I'm going to throw some calories on the table for you. <laughs> it's not going to be great, but you won't die. And, um, you yeah, know, I'm going to throw some calories at you. And then, you know, and then nowadays you, you just log back, you just log back on later, right? Yeah. You just, yep. you just do that. Be unapologetic. And I tell that to young dads too. You know, they, you know, this generation of dads, I'm sure Jordan, you're far more involved with your kids than, you know, maybe some folks from another generation. And so I tell them the same thing. Yeah, that's the most important thing to you right now. Everything else, your job is just to feed that person, you know, it, it allows you to feed and house that, that, that it, most important. Four years ago, I was MIA first two years. And that's how I was being a bad father and husband when I was starting Dead Maven. It's like I was not present. And during our annual marriage review um, on December 3rd, which we have every year for the past 10 December 4th. During our annual marriage review, <laughs> she gave me feedback. She's like, you're never home and you're not helping out. You know, because I basically like her in-laws came, her parents came from China and we're helping out. And I was like, all right, cool. I got to go build the business. But I was being a crappy husband, a crappy father. But then during kid number two and during the past year, like, you know, I was much more present, got much more balanced. And last year was the happiest year of our life. Um, and so, uh, so, so let's keep on going around the table. Melanie, what's the, um, what's the big picture here for you? Well, first I'm enjoying just meeting new people. So I'm so excited about that. And Jordan and Jing, I'm so happy that I got a chance to meet 51 labs and, and um, start on this journey with you all as well. I think the biggest takeaway, even as I'm reading some of the questions and comments and hearing what people are saying is that at the end of the day, I think we all work um, super hard. I think somebody asked the question uh, online, what's the biggest skill? I think 
you know, working hard, have not just working hard, but you know, you have to work smart too, but having strong work ethic, I just think is extremely important. I think if you have somebody with strong work ethic, um, you know, you can teach them a lot of things. And so um, I, I think just really being who you are, um, being genuine in what you do, and just having the confidence to be bold and, um, and getting out of your comfort zone is, is really, really important. Awesome. Michelle? Um, you know, I, I think the big, the big takeaway for me, especially given that we're, you know, with seemingly increased frequency, bringing panels together like this and having conversations like this is that progress is being made and, you know, let's stay the course. I think it's, it's really exciting to, you know, have been um, in an industry for a very long time now that has had a slow start to get wheels in motion, but I do feel like it's accelerating. And I think there's been a great equalizer with respect to the kind of situation with remote work this year, which really goes into literal people's literally into people's homes. The men are in the same position as the women dealing with the kids running up at the desk. And, and it's humanized all of us in a way that I hope is going to be a lasting impact to the positive. Um, and so I'm, I don't know, I'm very optimistic. I, I feel the momentum. I don't think it's going to happen overnight in terms of getting to the place we all want to get to with parity and equality and, and multidimensional diversity. But it is, uh, it's, it feels like we are absolutely accelerating toward that. And, uh, and it's exciting to, to, to see it and to be a part of it. Amy, Alex, then Evelise. So um, I sort of answered before, so I'm going to flip to Alex really fast. But one of the things I also wanted just to say is the authenticity is great. But like, I also think that people sort of need to know what's going on in the local sports teams. Like if you still have to actually also fit in, like if the Giants win the Super Bowl or whatever, clearly I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that is so not like, you need to know that. And, and, you know, and I, and I play golf. I don't love golf, but a lot happens at golf. You don't have to play golf, but, you know, so be authentic, but also you have to be, you know, don't be, you know, you also have to be sort of part of the team, like anything else. If you're in the club, you've got, you got to do that too. So that was just something I want to throw in there. And I'm popping to Alex. Alex um, I, I don't think they made the playoffs. I think I know that much. Played <laughs> football or any professional sports. So I'll just clear clarify. I know they would. I know in 1986 they won the Super Bowl. I know that much. Um, I think what's been really clear is be yourself, and I think it's also really clear that we have all and still do all have moments where. We don't want to walk in the room. We don't want to stand out. We feel uncomfortable or lack a certain level of confidence. But I think that also means that everyone is like that. And therefore, it is okay to be yourself. And I think, you know, when we think about what makes somebody in the room want to talk to you, it's not necessarily because you can discuss the you know, rate of return on your portfolio, it's because you're interesting to talk to, you're funny, you have a lot of things in common. And that only comes when you really are yourself. So to me, that's, that's the biggest takeaway and actually has given me a little bit more confidence to continue to be so. That's awesome. Evelise taking us home. So I think the industry wants and needs more women. Right, women deserve to be in this industry. It's a great career, right? I've loved it. Despite its challenges, it's 
really interesting. It's empowering. It's lucrative. It's, you know, I, I just, I can't imagine doing anything else. And I'd love to see more women um, in this industry. And so I'd say to women that don't think they can do it to call any one of us and we'll convince you otherwise. And um, I also just want to say if there's anything we or Avanti could ever do or help, that's what we want to do. It's our passion. You know, we've started internship programs and it's just our passion. We really want to see more women thrive and, and succeed.